Oh, I remember. <laughs> Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and prefer not to disclose, back to the Undressing Underground podcast with the coughing kittens and unicorns. I just smoked a bowl. Hello. <laughs> I'm coughing. <laughs> and today... Who do you talk to? Today I got to talk to everybody's favorite, <laughs> Tooth Petard. I think I do like him. I don't remember. I'm bad with names after a while. Or remembering comments, uh, at least. He is most known for... Okay, so maybe a year and a half ago, he was most known for doing um, Second Amendment Man. Oh, yeah. Like whenever there was a shooting, he'd be like, Second Amendment, man, freeze people from, you know, like secure his liberties or something. But um, he's <laughs> right, toned down on like, oh, it's always ironically. Yeah. And um, like when I first saw his, those posts, they used to be really much more horrifying. And I think he's toned it down a little bit more. And also um, now you don't see so much Second Amendment, man, but you will see more like, um, I've said it on the call, but like, well-regulated militia, free <laughs> citizens. Specifically, I wanted to say, like, I did ask him, like, if he had any, if he, if he had experienced anything with guns, you know, in his, in his youth, that may have affected his perspective on guns now. And so, one of the things that he told me was that his, and that he wanted to, me to say is that his fiance's dad shot himself. Because of like depression and alcohol or like SRIs. And then Tooth Petard said that his fiance's dad's absence is still felt every day. And so. I imagine. Yeah. So that's a little dark, but. Yeah. Um, I wanted to say one more thing about him. Well, probably lots, but <laughs> that I guess I was like intimidated to talk to Tooth Petard because I find him intimidatingly smart. And I know what he can make. I can't even explain the things he makes. They're like these little machines that go boop, pop. What the and fuck are you talking about? Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, and then if I just find them really, I've, uh, I, again, like people are never what you expect them to be. And I think that even though I thought he was like super academic elite type, yeah. um, he's also a really gentle spirit and he's not without compassion. And that so far, like, I never expected that Tooth Petard would be the one to make me like verge on tears and like choke up a few times during the call. Hmm. I'm a crybaby though, but <laughs> it, it was I could definitely I was feeling the tears. How did he compare to Milton Burrow's cock? Because they were like, because like he was doing it at the same time as uh, Good Job Gun Nuts too, wasn't he? Yes, they're a pair, but it's um, Tooth Petard is. I think that, like I said, I. I would describe him as a gentle spirit. Hmm. Built in world cock. That's a gentle. I don't know if that would be the first adjective. <laughs> I think because his voice is really booming. That's true. And he, he used to be like a stand-up comedian, so he's like very present <laughs> when you talk to him. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I just feel like I fell in love with Tupatard after this call because of his, <laughs> because of his compassion um, and his humanity. It was really touching and it was really personal and relatable. Mm. Okay. So real quick. Oh, poor. Stop moving against my mic. <laughs> um, uh, don't forget to subscribe or leave us reviews if you like or don't like any of this stuff we do. Uh, donate if you feel like it. I tend to buy the CDs or books of whoever I have on at least uh, before I talk to them or after I talk to them, if I'm going to include their music in the episode. So that money goes toward that, if nothing else. Um, and uh, if you have a Poe poem you like and would like to read, feel free to submit it to us. You still have until October 26th, and you can write your own music for it or include your friend's music as well, or else we have people that will give you music if you'd like it and uh that covers it for me 
Oh, I fell asleep. <laughs> Do you have anything else to add before you talk more in the episode? No, I just absolutely adore Tooth. That's it. More than Medieval Night. It's different. <laughs> <laughs> it's a different kind of... It's different. That's what all philander... What was that word? Philanderers? I don't know. <laughs> People that... Really? That's what they always say. Isn't it? Is that like, what they say? It's, it's not the same. <laughs> Or something. It's not. And I was gonna say, like, I have different kind of love for everybody, and it was a very hippie answer. <laughs> or a very Yikes. adulterous okay. answer. All right. Anyways. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Here's Kim's unicorns with tooth petard. I can't fucking say anything, can I? <laughs> Thanks for staying through the awkwardness, guys. <laughs> Petard. Hi, how are you? Hold on, I'm gonna smoke a bowl. Oh yeah, I have a. <laughs> I have my bowl set up too. Perfect. I broke my bomb this morning. It sucks. And that does suck. Um, ah, there we go. You ready? Yep. All right. I guess first things first. Um, let me ask you about your name. What's a tooth petard? Like, how'd you choose it? What is it? <laughs> Um, I think it comes back to the old New Hampshire days where everybody kind of had soggy teeth and uh, French names. So it just kind of came out, uh, you know, you refer to a 442 car as a caca de and <laughs> things like that. And uh, it just became sort of a, a throw around last name. And, and uh, when I was setting up my avatar, it popped out and uh, it stuck for a number of reasons. I like it. Oh, I just, I've always wanted to ask you, like, what it meant. I've had many nicknames, and that was a, a good one to just come up with. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, how long have you been using that name on Gawker? Uh, from the get-go. So, first post to right now, uh, I've never had, I've been banned a bunch of times and thought, oh, maybe I'll just make another one, but uh, sending whiny emails and stuff like that always got entertaining responses, so I, I kept that avatar. Oh, nice. So, wait, every time you got banned, you never had to create a new account, right? You could just ask to be in Yeah, there. just email. And uh, for a while, it wouldn't even accept any Hotmail emails or whatever. So, I had to email them for my other account. But eventually, I figured that out and was getting responses, you know, to the tune of, don't ever email us again. You're fixed. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, so I appreciate that. Um, I've emailed, too. But I've never gotten a response like that. But they're probably just they're always jokey. I could see that, you know, they're sitting around the room or somebody said, hey, Tooth Petard Road or listen to this guy. I mean, I hope so. I um, <laughs> JK unbanned me recently. And when I wrote back to him to say thank you, he wrote back and said, use it wisely. And that really scared me, actually. Ooh. Yeah, they uh, they never don't put in a threat. Oh, do so. <laughs> oh, OK, good to know. <laughs> good to know. Um, okay, let's see. Uh, okay, so I want to know, how different are you online with who you are in real life? Because I know online, especially after going through a lot of your comments, like... Oh, God. Well, you're, it's a lot of jokes, you know, and it's hard to get... It's not that it's hard. I just don't, I don't see you doing serious as much as you do funny. Right, yeah. Online, I definitely uh, I can dump out a lot of stuff that would otherwise I shoot out in public and nobody would get there. And, you know, there are a few people that get it online, so that's awesome. But uh, it's just basically to throw those little thoughtlings out there and not really care who I'm talking to. I, I mean, I do care, of course. The hive mind's awesome, but uh, I don't know the... You know, I only know people from their writing, so it's just throwing it out into another ideal idea pool and letting them, you know, see what, what happens in the froth. And that part is the most entertaining for me. Remember, I feel like you don't really do Second Amendment, man. Like, there was a time during Sandy Hook. I got banned a lot for that. Oh. So I kind of use them sparingly and instead just comment on somebody else's comment. 
um, to the tune of Second Amendment, man, or, you know, with whatever I happen to think of that day or, you know, whatever has happened in town within the last couple of weeks, because usually something goes down not in a good way that changes people's perceptions and, and adds to, you know, whatever the idea is of the moment. Hmm. So I, I kind of, uh, instead of just throwing in a fake headline, I'll, I'll comment on somebody else or toss my own idea in there and let it stand on its own merit. There are occasional moments where Second Amendment Man will come out. I don't know when the last one was, maybe a month and a half ago or something. Uh, you, I like that you mix it up with, like, well-regulated militia. Or... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. The organization of Second Amendment Men everywhere, yeah. yeah. Um, I usually read those to my boyfriend because they're, I mean, they're usually so, sometimes they're horrifying a little bit, but, you know, funny, but, um, it is, you have to be, otherwise you're engaging, you know, this constant smoke screen. So, you know, just point out the patent absurdity of the whole thing and there's no, you know, but about it is, this is ridiculous. So I think most people might be familiar with your stance on guns. Mm -hmm. That you seem very anti. Um, can you do you want to tell us about your position and how has has like have you ever had any past experiences with guns that have shaped? Oh, for sure. Opinion? Yeah, I grew up around guns in rural New Hampshire and uh, come from a long line of people in my family on both sides who managed to blow the curtains out of their house with homemade cannons and things like that. My granddad in post-World War Two, no, post-World War One, Hungary would cruise around and on dinner with the family would cruise up to the various attics and find the stashed weaponry and whatever and, and get into all kinds of trouble with that. And uh, my dad, you know, long history with guns and he was an NRA member for a while hmm. up until a few years ago, but uh, got me my first shotgun when I think when I was 14 and uh, has a gun collection and everything. In fact, we went back about a month ago and I taught my son target shooting with the little 22 that I love. But uh, I figure if it wasn't me, it would be somebody else. So in that sense, I had to do it. I would, I'd much rather just ignore the whole issue, but it was going to happen. Wait, I think people, I'm surprised. So I want to say maybe other people would be surprised that you taught your son how to shoot just because I thought you were mm -hmm. so anti-gun culture. Yeah, I think the first important lesson or the lesson with teaching anybody about guns is that they're never safe. And if I could teach him that before he had to learn it firsthand, I would do it. And, uh, you know, he's extremely, you know, if he handles one like a dead fish and won't even go near it, if someone else is handling it, you know, that kind of thing is a goal of mine. Um, whereas uh, before, he was extremely curious. How old is he? He walked in here. Uh, he's nine. Okay. He walked in here and pointed a toy gun at me. And I said, well, you know, I had a friend of mine who did that with a gun he found in his garage in front of his friends and split his face open and died, you know. And, and my son just threw the toy away. I was like, listen, I don't want to scar you like that. But that's what those things do. Okay. And uh, growing up in New Hampshire, I could count probably six kids that died at the hands of guns before I graduated high school. And uh, it never really ra it affected me, you know, as golf clubs at, at that time. It's like, whatever, these are part of the currency of living around here. And I moved out and went to university and I had a, a gun there. I'd go target shooting on the beach of the Chesapeake. And it was really close to the Naval Academy and all those people. And uh, after I moved, I lived in the country again after college, and, and uh, we all had quite the arsenal. I remember the police coming up and saying, wow, you guys are better armed than the police station. But of course, we were all target shooting and doing whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, then it began to turn. Um, I would see people with them in bars and begin to get into conversations about the necessity of them. And I was like, wait a second, this is, uh, you know, it, it, it's everything of language here but it's what is it it's bullshit and uh i mean uh, it what is it costing everybody you know uh, plinking and and uh um the, this gun culture is just uh, uh too costly and it changes the character of everybody okay a qu related question if let's say do you think okay hmm if your son <laughs> let's say you were wherever you keep your gun and then, mm -hmm. in like, I don't have one. Oh, but here. Oh. it's in uh, across the country. Oh, okay. But let's say a parent 
did own a gun and mm-hmm. the child was aware like where the gun was and let's say mm-hmm. somehow got into the gun cabinet or whatever wherever you put guns yeah. and then they went to it like a school and shot some people up or do you think that the parents then should be held responsible well uh, i i personally do i don't know what the legal precedence is because i'm just instantly thinking of like a parent who kept white phosphorus in a door and the kid brought it to school and got in trouble with it i'm sure the parents would be liable for that so yeah you know i think that not only my own personal knee-jerk response you know is sure hold a parent liable for keeping the kid in danger in the first place and uh the same holds true you know with uh, any other deadly substance so i don't see why that why there should be an excuse exclusion for guns when uh, uh y2k rolled around one of the engineers where i worked at the startup went and hid out in his bunker and was always proud about his uh daughter's knowing where the loaded 12 gauge was in one of the kitchen drawers and so i can point to write about men is in in 9 uh as being a real time of questioning of all that for me hmm. i was like how how is that making anybody safer Mm, but didn't you say you grew up with your Oh, I did. Yeah, I have those arguments with my with my dad. You know, it's like the bottom line is that's in the house that's making the house more dangerous. And uh my significant other, my fiance's father-in-law, we were over there and I walked by a gun cabinet. I don't know if it was locked or not, but it was glass fronted and there was guns and ammo in it. And I said, "Well, my son's never coming over here." You know, they have a, a her brother-in-law has a three-year-old and he's there all the time. I said, you might want to bring this up because this is not good in any way. They're, you know, they're in uh, Covington, Washington. What, 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 you know, what redcoats are lurking in the woods over there? What do you say when, what would you say to the pro-ground crowd when they, whenever there's like a, a shooting and a post goes up regarding that and then... When the pro-gun crowd says, it's not about gun control, guys, it's about mental health, what would be your response? Mm. Well, there's a lot of crazy people that aren't shooting people right now. Um, and it's, it's a lot easier to do it if you t- give them the tools. And if they're going to say it's a tool, then sure, but you got to keep that out of their hands. You don't let them run around with a jackhammer either or a cement truck, you know, to get a, a commercial license and stuff like that. I imagine there's some kind of review. I, I doubt it actually now that I think about it. Let's say an airliner. An airliner? But, uh, yeah, I mean, to, to be an airliner pilot, you have to have, you've got a responsibility for at least however, however many people are on that airplane. If you've got that many bullets in your gun, you're responsible for that many lives too, really. Hmm, interesting theory. Um, really, uh, they're, they're two separate arguments. It's a red herring, ultimately, because we're talking about the availability of guns, and if they weren't everywhere, people would have less access to them. If the guy was murdering people with spoons, we'd have a big problem with psychopaths and spoons, but we don't. Hmm. Mm, let's see. This is not related to guns, mm-hmm. but uh, I will probably come back to that. But um, I guess I've always wanted to ask you, but... It just seems weirdly elitist to ask people if they went to college or not. But after reading mm-hmm. some of your comments, I mean, and I read some out loud to my boyfriend as well. <laughs> and he was like, wow, this guy is really academic. And I mean, even though I know that you make stuff and mm-hmm. I mean, did, uh, did you? Hold on, I have one right here. I'll turn it up. It's like somebody tuning a radio in the back room. Are you, did you go to school for engineering? No, I went to uh, school and I got a classics degree. So I studied freshman year in ancient Greek and Euclid and all that stuff and almost failed out. I was home over Christmas studying all the verb forms. It was awful. And uh, it was great though. By the time I graduated, we were studying Einstein from original texts and rebuilding the experiments and uh, following along with philosophy and writing. So uh, it was awesome and a lot of my uh, schoolmates went on to you know be lawyers and stuff like that but uh right afterwards i got into publishing so i was fascinated with that magic and never really left it you're in publishing right now um right now i'm basically in color science and uh uh you know the science of printing and publishing so uh a lot of it is with 
Pardon me, I'm gonna burp. Oh God, <laughs> much better. A lot of it is with um, printing technology, so that's really advanced in the last 10 or 15 years, and I've always been with companies that have uh, done new things with it, so my job would be often to go out to traditional print shops and integrate this new equipment and know how it works inside and out from the software and hardware standpoint. So over the years, I kept seeing these World of Warcraft playing engineers hide out modifying the black boxes they had a sacred position in all these companies i said well these guys can do it anybody can and uh, while we were having my son i sat down and began to build some gadgets that i've always wanted to and uh, now over the years i'll develop or, or teach myself a new technology or, or a new method and say this needs a test box this needs something so i'll build a whole kind of a, a gadget around it and I display them. People will often uh, put them in the press as, oh, this guy's found objects. And I kind of love it. They think I get them from Lithuania or somewhere. <laughs> because they look really legitimate and they do stuff, but hmm. they don't really have a fixed purpose. I'm going to be really honest and say I understand all the words that you said. But mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, sometimes <laughs> like I just feel like you're too smart for me. Definitely. <laughs> um, well, I mean, if I can get it, anybody can. It was just years, right? So you develop a way to blink a light. You're like, I always wanted a box with some blinky lights on it. So, you know, you make the box and then a friend goes, that should make some beeps. It's like, damn it. You know, so, okay, learn how to make something beep. And, and uh, at, at the beginning, I'm like cracking open those Hallmark cards that sing. And I was like, I, I want to control this beep. And it's trial and error. It took years and lots of agony. But just getting the results was motivation enough. A lot of times when I'm down there grinding away, I feel like it's, you know, crazy person on an island time. But uh, being able to show them off and have a party where everybody comes over and plays with the stuff is worth it. How did you go from studying classics to color science? Mm, um, it's There's an intersection that I liked way before I went to college. Like, basically, I first time I could pick up a pencil I drew or pick up a camera, I was into photos. And uh, I kind of boiled it down to art being the intersection of expression and technology. So you have to use technology to get this thing out that you can't say or express otherwise. So that's utter magic to me. You can, we offload this ability onto nature. We make a thing that speaks for us. And uh, so now, you know, after at the end, you know, 45 years later, or 40 years later, I can uh, build a box that does all the speaking and then interacts with people who play with it. And that to me is a pure embodiment of like actual magic. Here's, you know, nature hammered together in this thing. And after I'm gone, people will still be playing with it. And, uh, Basically, it's just a couple of fundamental things that I would learn over time to, you know, as friend said, make it beep. Okay, how do I make it beep? Like, really control its own beeping. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah, I get uh, sidetracked into stuff like that. That's where all my spare time goes, basically. Um, do you ever, does your son, do you... Do you know if your son shares any of your interests yet or hobbies? Yeah, he uh, he definitely wants to be an engineer, and I think he'd probably be better off um, if he went to school for it and stuff. But I studied fundamental physics, so I understand what's going on in these things at a very deep level, and then you know onward and outward to marketing. So as long as he's exposed to it, I think and learns, you know, you can open the box, you can tinker with it. Um, that that's the important part. So we were out at this target shooting experience with my dad and uh, the real reason was for a steamboat meet he built steamboats and boilers and stuff like that so we had a couple of days out on the wild north end of uh, Lake Winnipesaukee near Moultonboro um, steamboating amongst loons with all these other boats and flotilla and uh, Harper loves it you know the smell of steam and the little <clears throat> motor turning away and everything like that so he's just sitting there going oh I the, all I want to do is be an engineer now it's like, okay, yeah, that'll catch. Oh, I think that's cute. <laughs> you must be so proud. Yeah, I like, uh, I like seeing other people's reactions to him. I know he's doing all right when uh, he can walk into a scene and, and not, well, I mean, look into it to master it. Like, how can I make this room better kind of thing? Hmm. Mm. <laughs> um, one thing I will say, I've told you before, but I like enjoy when you talk about your son just because uh, you just go from like, 
uh, like a, a scientist, like mad scientist, genius <laughs> mad scientist to like more like just like doting, affectionate. Oh, we wrestle teen. and it blows people's minds like pretty physical. We'll throw each other over the back of the couch kind of stuff. Oh my. After dinner, he'll like wrestling time. And uh, everybody just kind of clears the room. And it's funny that in a city now, because there's always people upstairs and downstairs, and usually we're at some auntie's apartment playing drop me off the leg kind of thing. He'll climb onto my leg. I have to lift him up and ploosh onto the floor. <laughs> but uh, eventually somebody said, you know, the, the people downstairs will really wonder. <laughs> and uh, this is a duplex. So I always wonder what the kids back th in the uh, back think. But they don't ask questions. That's fine. <laughs> Um, so I noticed that, I remember you used to ride a motorcycle. Yep. How? I would still, uh, ride on dirt. Uh, but uh, continue, I'm sorry. And how long did you, well, how long did you ride? And I mean, I know why you stopped really riding, but will you tell us why you stopped? Oh, sure, yeah. Um, I've probably ridden motorcycles since I was about 12. Uh, in the woods there, you could learn to drive standard in, when you were 12, too. So, Jeeps and motorcycles, but, uh. I had a 1973 Honda CB175 that we could take up the mountain road and back down and, you know, there wouldn't be anybody up there. And so we, we could ride around on that. And then uh, through college, I had a motorcycle as well, and we would rebuild them. I'd go tearing across the Maryland countryside. And then, uh, of course, New Hampshire is, I think there's more motorcycle registrations than cars. And this is kind of along the gun thing, too, when I get to it. But uh, I moved out here, and I've always dirt biked too. Um, New Hampshire, of course, was perfect for that. Um, you could leave the backyard and ride 40 miles of crossing roads, but not having to ride much on asphalt and visit friends and group together and do stuff. But um, I got out here and I uh, got this big KTM Super Motard, which is a 1,000cc twin class motorcycle, which has a fair amount of torque. You could lift the front end up by twisting the throttle fairly easily. Um, but the uh, the drivers around here are insane. I call it white car syndrome. They're just oblivious. There's no turn signals. Uh, the Ballard Driving Academy is a fantastic little video to watch. They say in there, use the whole road, use the whole road. You pay taxes on the whole road, use the whole road. Don't let them know what you're doing. Um, but uh, uh, so I was... Uh, kind of had a job at a print shop running their digital department and uh, it was a family-run shop so basically to keep all the sons out of prison it was misery and I was uh, having coffee with my uh, uh, fiance and just you know every morning began with god I gotta find something else to do <laughs> and um, fine we, we broke up at the coffee shop I dropped Harper off at the bus and uh, walked over and climbed on the motorcycle and rode across town to this place and uh, um I came to in the hospital and uh, Suze and her best friend were tumbling my helmet over in their hands, turning the glass out of it. And they were about to cut open my side to put in a uh, lung tube. And Jeez. they had me pretty dosed up. They said I was fine. Uh, but the weirdest part about it is I was thoroughly conscious up till then. I, uh, I guess I was rolling around the street, but I gave everybody my phone numbers. You know, Harper's in school, call this person, call my job, blah, blah, blah. Weren't you scared and got of dying? In. What's that? Were you, weren't you scared of dying? When you um, maybe before. Afterward, I think I have vague memories of dark negotiations and being like, okay, you're here. But as I saw the car, I was like, oh shit, I would have liked to see Harper get old. And, and in the snowboard and dirt bike and skateboard culture that I grew up in, the you know, the constant refrain is, you know, the most we'll know about it is this oh shit ow and it was very much like that um this subaru had pulled out of the lane to my right to pull an illegal u-turn across four lanes of traffic mm. and i didn't even hit the brakes i folded the front end of the motorcycle into so the tire was in the oil pan and oh. i think i went through their rear quarter panel and window and stuff oh like that oh my god um broke or screwed up both my hands on the um handlebars and uh, broke the radii off the back of my pelvis, those two little loops, and uh, uh, broke five ribs and punctured a lung. 
But I, I was armored, so I had no, not a scratch on me. But anyway, I, I talked to the medics and got in there, and they stuck this lung tube in. And uh, well, they were starting to, and said it's going to hurt. I said, "Well, I'm going to yell." And uh, I saw um, Suze, my SO, uh, left, and Jessica was still sitting there, and just kind of put a smile on and walked out the other side of the door to hear it. <laughs> I owe her. Uh, I think I owed her one by that time. She's like, "I'm going to listen to this one," but. Uh, the worst part about it was two days later or a day later when I first saw Harper, he just broke into tears. I had a vacuum cleaner who's housed out my side into a briefcase full of blood, right? My oh. lungs were draining and a catheter, which was the best thing ever. And uh, the dilated drip and uh, getting all the x-rays and CAT scans and everything. And he's just breaking down into tears. He brought me a little plant. Uh, if I'm not careful, I'll choke up. But uh, which is right here next to me. I still have it alive. But uh, I'm choking up. I'm yeah. serious. <laughs> uh, that kid's relied on me since he was 18 months old. I'm glad his mom's coming together. But um, that moment, and then reading about and going through the uh, trying to get the insurance settlement, the medical costs. I got laid off. I think the next day. Oh my um, God. So yeah, it's rough. And then uh, in Seattle, I think you go through about seven years before you get an offender bender in a car. And in, uh, if that happens to you on a motorcycle, you're like 36 more times likely to get hurt. And when you get hurt, I think it's nine times more likely to be, you know, serious hospital stay type hurt. So you get all this motorcycle and his freedom, you know, blah, 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 represent, represents this and this. It's just a total mess. It's a pop, it's a, it's an engine, you know, for insurance companies and, and medical costs, really. It doesn't do much <laughs> other than that. Because anybody that spends any time on one is going to be faced with some significant medical bills. And uh, I think that was the lesson for me. And I, I love riding. I'm definitely going to continue. But uh, I have a, a big dirt bike that I go desert racing with. And that environment is much safer, actually, than day-to-day uh, uh, -day commuter traffic. Let's see. Okay. I'm going to ask you this question and then we're going to segue into the topic. But when mm -hmm. you got into your motorcycle accident and you said that you, when you were on, on the floor after it, you were having dark, dark negotiations is what you just said. Yeah. Do you, what well, do you mean? Like, who are you talking, are we talking to God? And then on that, what's your take on religion? Know. I've been surrounded by a bunch of dead people. Um, who, or people that have been close to me that have died, that have visited me as they did, kind of, you know, cats, people. And at first I was like, that's weird. That's a dream. You know, psychosomatic. I obviously missed this person or this cat had been missing for days and finally had this dream where had this happened. Then I found her the next day. But, uh, then I started reading about near-death experiences because I, I, my uncle had one in our house when I was about seven. He had leukemia. And uh, he died, and my dad kept him alive with CPR for a while, and he went to the hospital, but he was dying. There was no way, you know, you don't come back from that in the 70s. And uh, he said, don't worry about it. I, I, um, I was over the fields where we grew up in Garmisch Partenkirchen after escaping Hungary right after World War II, and the, uh, I might crack up again. The cows were had their big bells on, and uh, the sunlight was shining through the clouds. And there are bees, you know, flying around everything. And uh, I'm not scared. You guys don't worry about it. And when he finally died, I was like, Mom, why, why aren't you crying anymore? She's like, oh, he's not in pain anymore. And uh, I think it was about, you know, seven Star Wars era had just come out. Hmm. And uh, we were talking about it later. And I'm like, where's heaven? And she said, well, it's so far away. It's inside you. And I felt the hand on my shoulder. Like, it's all right. And uh, that, that was really weird. Um... And then when she died, I was working in Scandinavia uh, doing print-related stuff for a couple of weeks. And I had just come back and she said, uh, you want to come by and help me with my computer? You know, EPS files, something, this or that. I said, sure, Mom, and, and blew it off. And then the next day, my dad called. And he was really broken up. He said, why don't you come to the hospital right now? I said, like, wait, what? No, no, just come there. I'll explain. And there was my mom. She was unable to speak at this point. Uh, had aggressive melanoma and she was dead within two weeks and never said a word, you know, said, oh, big hug and was happy to see us. But, you know, I could go see her every night. And uh, as the weeks progressed, um, I uh, uh, towards the end, I, I, one night I went over and I said, hey, mom, you know, if you can see me, wink. And the one eye that could still follow me looked over and winked. I said, well, I'll see you on the other side. 
um, went home and uh, about five in the morning, the phone rang and the nurses called uh, that said she had died. And uh, if I want to come see her, so, yeah, of course. But just before then, I was woken up from a dream of her in the hospital room with the family in there. And it was like, you know, Salvador Dali painting of the glowing white sheets and the, you know, uh, just this air. And uh, it wasn't like her room at all, which is full of flowers and stuff like that. It was just a clean white room. But then uh, I'd read more about NDEs and uh, how it's actually like a, a phenomenon. People get these and deathbed visitations do happen, especially in hospice care, where, yeah, you know, a certain percentage of people are visited by the dying as they go. And it's usually a message of, you know, it's all right. Um, take it or leave it. Uh, but... Uh, uh, it's incredible to me. It, there, there is uh, a lot more to be experienced than, than just the mere outer layer that we see, I think. That, I, I don't know what to say. I, <laughs> I, I think that's a possibility, yes. I don't, I guess, hmm. I mean, I think I think it's all really interesting and I appreciate that you shared that. Yeah, uh, I, in, in New England too, uh, um, I've had, some direct experience, and a lot of the people I knew had direct experience with ghosts, which was uh, really weird, too. You know, I'm a rationalist, uh, not necessarily a materialist, just because uh, rationalism will take you to the edge of reason real quick. <laughs> like, here's the precipice. But, um, uh, yeah, I was in the kitchen one time with about three or four people in a circle talking and um, I saw something out of the corner of my eye in the living room towards the master bedroom where my room was and didn't know, you know, whatever. But the kid that was facing that way went completely white. He said, did you see that? I said, well, I'm going to say I saw something, but I'm not going to say what. And he said, no, the house had a pair of legs going into your room. It's like, well, that's all right. <laughs> whatever. And uh, later on, I was upstairs in the same place, uh, practicing bass, and I, in a quiet spell, the front door opened, I saw somebody go by in jeans and a red plaid shirt. I was like, oh, somebody's here, and went down. The house was empty. I was like, all right, just went back upstairs and plugged in and kept going on with what I was doing. But these stories are everywhere over there, if you uh, ask around or, or, you know, get to talking to anybody long enough. I find it interesting uh, that I do think you're like a rationalist realist, I guess. Um, like, mm -hmm. you don't seem very into hmm, fantasies and dreams you know you mm -hmm. but that you have these experiences with mm -hmm. the dead well i don't know what they are i don't I, I don't know what it is yeah um yeah uh, i'm trying to to put it in a way that would make sense as a reason as a rationalist but uh I mean, I could get all Kantian and Popper with it, you know, which says that any system, any rational system can't prove its own validity. They exist in a, as a self-referential island, which is fine. But the uh, the more you know, the longer the shoreline is, the, the contacts the sea of mystery, right? So uh, it's a uh, sort of like uh, two facts make uh, uh, four square inches of, of shoreline. Every little idea that gets tossed on the island increases the shoreline by even more. Um, yeah, this, the, the, all that stuff. I don't. I don't believe in it. I, I'm uh, like Robert Anton Wilson with it. Uh, belief is the depth of intelligence. <laughs> I'll sit there and go, "That was really cool." I was in an old farmhouse in France, and uh, you know, like classic monsters type place, all stone and uh, really tall, narrow windows and everything was ancient. And uh, I was sleeping in bed or half asleep and I, I woke up and was listening to someone else sleeping in the room with me, but I was alone in there. So I was like, okay, I just put the pillow back over my head and went about my business. And a day or two later, we were there for Christmas. Uh, my mom's friend said, oh, by the way, you know, people see all kinds of shit in here and stuff happens, but don't worry about it. Nothing, no, no one's ever left because of it. And, uh, you know, that it's a phenomenon to be counted just as much as anything else. I would like for it to be true. Yeah, um, that's the danger, right? We want something to be true. Right. Um, 
Yeah, so it's it's yeah, it's weird. I I would love to love for it to be true. It'd be great. I mean, I always think of a sci-fi plot of what would happen if people found out there was an afterlife. I mean, the world would get fucked, or you know, something would go on. And then, of course, the twist would be to find out that that was a just. Oh wait, no. <laughs> what what twist? We got faked out. Oh. <laughs> there really isn't one. Oh. <laughs> um, I'd hope this doesn't take away from your memory, but. In a way, when you know when you shared, when you were and when you got in the motorcycle accident and you were mm-hmm. like seeing your parents, it kind of reminded me of when and this is so cheesy, but in Harry Potter in like the last book when he's going to meet yeah. Voldemort and then he's really scared, but because he's going to his death and then his like parents and everyone who's died most recently by Voldemort, it's like that's the people he sees his parents and yeah. Sirius and they're like, don't worry, it's okay, like you got this, right. Well, and the motorcycle crash itself, I didn't see shit. Um, I just got the impression afterwards, like, whoa, oh. something happened. I either said the right thing or, you know, I wasn't going five miles fast enough, you know, or slow enough. You know, I, I just barely made it through. I, I got that feeling. And uh, uh, <laughs> whoever put forward the good foot in my favor, thank you. Um, basically, I just got a feeling of gratitude, uh, you know, really happy to be here. Um, but the, the, the vision you were talking about was really cool because I, I have a pretty good memory for stuff like that from when I was a baby. Um, I remember milk in a bottle and <laughs> crapping my diapers and stuff like that. But, uh, I had this memory dream that I could never place for the longest time, but it was like this myopic vision, you know, cloudy at the edges of all the old people in my life projecting me down kind of from the clouds into this warm, comfortable existence. And then I was like, wait a second, that was the crib you know kids are nearsighted or farsighted they don't have good vision yet at that age and these are just all the mythologies in my life you know that I saw you know needed to cling to instantly as a as an infant it was really weird to put that together so I think maybe a lot of this deathbed stuff might be those kind of pictures coming back because there are you know single neurons in our brain where you get activated and you smell your kids pjs you know that you wore when you were seven or remember your grandparents or you know all that kind of uh, stuff is hiding in there okay so this is sort of related because it's about life and death but Mm -hmm. again when i was going through your comments um i mean there's a lot of you know the self-regulated militia or second amendment (laughs) man i mean a lot of his jokes and puns um and then and then i got i found this really personal direct compassionate statement and I wanted to read it, and it, I uh-huh. found it very touching. So, and the person who you're responding to is Dark Hurst, Hurst? Mm-hmm. and he said, "I think people should have the option to kill themselves. I would be much better off dead, and I will never be happy. But I wish he would have waited until he was at least 30 to make such a monumental decision. For the most part, people get over their bullshit more and more as they get older. At least I did. Yes, I'm still a depressed person, but I wouldn't attempt suicide again." And so this is your response. And it was so nice. <clears throat> I'm sorry for your pain. I'm glad you're here, even if you aren't. Every moment you continue on is another possibility for things to change. Mm-hmm. I hope you find freedom in life rather than from it. If you're mm-hmm. given to unhappiness, you can smile to spite yourself. Experiment yeah, with it. But most of all, I hope you find help when you need it. But I agree, the choice is always ours at every moment. Ooh, I just had like goosebumps. Oh, it's so, it was so personal. I'm so much better for <laughs> reading that. I just didn't know you were so empathetic. Yeah, I had to, um, I don't know. I think uh, uh, my mom was a drinker and liked to beat the crap out of me. So I had to revise a lot of ways I was thinking about stuff. Um, Probably at the end of my 30s, I found myself, you know, relationships would end in these cycles of codependency, I would call it now. But, you know, they were always a repeat. Like, uh, and it was awful. It was just a terrible experience. And I really needed to get into changing my mind about stuff and uh, not waking up every morning with the little voice in my head going, oh, you're still here? You know, why aren't you dead yet? Mm. And uh, somehow I did. I, I... I wouldn't call it age because I have uh, my brothers going through the same thing now and I'm hoping that he can um, 
break through it. It's just, uh, you got to want it, I guess. I don't know. I'm not going to blame anybody who hasn't or find the right, find the right thing. Um, but Oh, I, I think I was speaking from the voice of gratitude for being on the other side of that and remembering having that black fucking scorpion stinger right through the center of my being as a sole motivator in life. I mean, that's, uh, and then, and then thinking that was it, that was like, okay, this is the way I got to go through life and, and what hell that is. I, I could not wish that on anybody and, uh, seeing people go through it day in, day out, yeah, I have, they have my utmost sympathy. So there was no event that got you to slowly start changing your perspective? Was it just, I mean, because I, what's, what's the secret, you know? Yeah, right, right. I think a lot of it was, wait, what if I didn't feel this way? What if I didn't feel this way about things? What if this conclusion I'd reached is not true? What am I most likely wrong about? What would change everything if I was wrong about it? Um, I've That's gone through, question. yeah, I've gone through a lot of life living my worst nightmares. Like I don't ever want this to happen. That happens. You know, I always really want this, but not this to happen to it. That happens, you know? So mm -hmm. it's like, okay. Um, <laughs> part of it is, uh, that movie ghost dog was great. There was uh, meditations of all those samurais. And one of them was saying, uh, Oh, you always have to meditate on the death and destruction and defacement of all that you hold sacred to you. And I think that's a good practice. Um, you know, all these attachments and stuff, you know, if they're chosen and well-reasoned and continually reinforced and thought about, sure. But if it's just this lazy, like, oh, that's the way it's always been, then, you know, they might not be the best things. Um, so I had to lose a lot of that, uh, uh, talking to my brother who's going through this, he's, you know, oh, but we're in the car together on the same road. I'm like, dude, there's no car. There's no road. You don't even know who you're talking about. You have this vision, hmm. you know, so the sooner you get out of that picture, the better. Oh, I don't, I don't think I could, he says. And I'm like, well, you know, you, it's going to happen one way or the other. But uh, if you can do it willfully and get out of there and, 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 and start with a fresh slate, it's a really weird place to be. I remember uh, I've done acid and all kinds of hallucinogens, but nothing would compare to that feeling. Nothing, nothing compares to that no feeling. Disillusionment, just like, <laughs> you know, like, oh, I, I suddenly realized the entire bullshitness of this entire thing. Uh, you know, like realizing a good friend of mine was having, uh, uh, two good friends of mine were, were sleeping together in college and it was bugging me, but I didn't realize it till another friend of mine pointed out. I was like, oh, 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 that's a relief. Now I get it. Wait, why was it bugging you? Um, I was three musketeers type naivety, I think. Oh. <laughs> and then, uh, I was his roommate. So it was like, I'll go sleep upstairs. I was like, oh, great. But whatever. Thank you for sharing all that with me, though. I mean, oh, my pleasure. That's really personal. I think it was all really relatable. I mean, to me, too. Uh, let's see. Okay, let's do something a little fun because we're <laughs> doing like so much. It got so like sentimental for me. I was like feeling, I was like at the verge of tears many times and choking up. Oh, I was. Um, I'm glad I pulled through. <laughs> okay. Tell me, so I know that you've done drugs, but I feel like more specifically, you do hallucinogenics. Mm -hmm. um, what is, I don't even know how to pronounce this. Like, what is psilocybin? Psilocybin? Psilocybin like, and what's DMT like? They're both very similar. Um, I would say DMT at a reasonable dose is probably close to four or five grams of mushrooms mid-experience. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah, but the DMT... By the time you have a word to put it to, like, oh my gosh, it's over. Um, and you're left with what I call, what I like about both those experiences is the afterglow. You know, maybe three weeks of just this clarity. And uh, I don't do it very often. I think the last time I did mushrooms was probably last year or no, probably 4th of July. <laughs> Um, but, uh, the last significant time, uh, was, uh, when my fiance and I started dating, we went out to the Fry and there was a great shady Art Nouveau, dark charcoal-y, uh, art exhibit going on there. 
So we ate about a gram and a half of mushrooms, of pretty strong mushrooms, and uh, sat in the cafe till they kicked in, and then checked out the paintings with these ears, you know, ear to ear grins on our faces the whole time. <laughs> and then we walked across the tree, uh, uh, street and sat in the church there for a while and watched the guy sweeping and, and uh, sobered up on the front steps and drove home. But by the time I drove home, it was just radiating out of the palm of my hands, this physicality. And uh, I don't know, I find them both, uh, uh, mushrooms are more fun because it's longer and you can actually, uh, the way we usually do it is in honey and s small doses at a time, maybe, you know, a gram or half a gram at a time. And then it's just like champagne for the vision. Everything gets a little bit sparklier and you feel giddy. And uh, I think we were out camping at Doe Bay in Orcas Island, uh, playing horseshoes with some other families all on mushrooms. You know, we were, they weren't, but it was fine. And, uh, you know, just had a great time. Have you ever done this drug called, it's either called 2CE or 2CB? I've heard of 2CB talked up a lot. I've never done either of those. Um, mostly the ones I've done have been the natural analogs outside of like uh, LSD. It, I think it was created by some guy in a lab in San Francisco. But mm -hmm. is that, uh, It's probably from Tikal. Um, what is it? Tryptamines I've known and loved or the other one, which is something else I've known and loved. He did about, oh God, I don't know how many hundreds of recipes and then tried them all on himself. I snorted it because mm -hmm. they, my friends had done it orally and snorted and they said orally takes too long. Yeah. And so if you ever do it, I would say don't snort it because it was like nail polish remover taste. Oh, yeah, a ton yeah. of bricks too. I bet it hit like... like and it hit like a ton of bricks. And it, the thing is visually, it mm -hmm. was the most, it was the best visual experience because I mean, for it actually was like the walls were uh, mm -hmm. billowing in and out and waving. Nice. Yeah, and there were like the, there was no straight lines, and things were constantly moving. Mm -hmm. At the same time, though, it was the most intense experience, and it like turned me off to ever doing hallucinogenics ever again because it was right. lasted like six hours. It oh, felt that's like burly. I, yeah, is. heavy dose acids like that. Well, the, the mushrooms would be like that, but they don't last more than two hours. But mushrooms also make me really giggly, like laugh, mm -hmm. and me I too. love that. You know, yeah. that's awesome. Yep, and I can't have a bad time on them. I'll be laying there with my, you know, legs crossed under a maple tree in the summer, giggling, and then look over to whoever I'm doing with, and, you know, they're, like, in agony, like, oh, God, stop thinking like that. <laughs> I'm sorry to see you like that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, uh, you know, I guess it hits everybody differently, just like pot. I have uh, um, friends who are, you know, recovering alcoholics, but they're miserable because they can't smoke pot. Mm -hmm. um, just because it makes them paranoid and doesn't affect them in a good way. So, you know, it's like, oh, okay, I guess you guys are wired more for that kind of stuff. I mean, my mom it's was definitely. a devout alco uh, alcoholic, uh, whereas my dad, uh, I think after she died, we were at a wedding with my Iraqi family, which I love. And uh, we were uh, out back smoking this huge spliff, um, and my dad busts out and says, what's that? It's pot, Dad. He grabs it. Give me that thing. Dad, that's a high test. He smoked all of it talking to us and then oh walked inside and I was dancing with some of my cousins and look over and he's just bent over laughing by the uh, wedding cake, you know, cutting it up. <laughs> that's awesome. It's like, you, you own it, Dad. You got this. That it's was nice his first now time? That, what's that? That was his first time? No, he yeah. uh, smoked it a lot in the 50s. Oh. Mm -hmm. In Chicago. <laughs> he was a big he was big trouble in the 50s uh, uh he was funny because just recently said here i am 25 years of school later uh remembering my teacher telling me i wouldn't amount to much and i'm like yeah it's all right they're never really right no they are i had i had a couple good right teachers i just don't remember what they said <laughs> oh one thing i wanted to say about shrooms is i feel like a lot of ladies might relate to this but whenever i've done it um i always think I always think I'm starting my period. Like really? Is it a physical feeling? Yeah, it's like a stomach thingy and then a physical feeling near the stomach and it's really uncomfortable. So I know that feeling. Uh, just from having dumb mushrooms, some acid would do that to me too. Weird. I don't know why that happens, why it affects the like the, the stomach. Yeah, like that lower, there's like a duodenum muscle or something like the diaphragm, but the next one down. It seems to tense up, at least with me. I'm feeling it now just even thinking about it. <laughs> okay, I want to ask you, this is, I'm going to ask you two more questions. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. 
I've like hardly asked you anything about Gawker, but that's just because the other questions I, I had more fun. Unless you want me to, I don't mind at all. Oh, I don't care. I love, uh, I, I enjoy it over there. I mean, I think uh, uh, the participant school, the, the, our crowd is different than the writing crowd. I don't know if the expectations are the same. So. Uh, okay, actually, I'll ask you a few more questions. Like, first, let me go back, let me take it back to Gawker really quick and uh -huh. ask you. So, I think that you are one of the smartest people I've ever talked to. In an intimidating way, you know. Um, <laughs> but you've also ended up being actually really nice and relatable. Mm -hmm. um, so people, ne you're, they're never what you expect, you know. And so my question for you right now is, who do you think is really intelligent and articulate on Gawker in terms of the commenters? I, after the purge um, or the recent leaving of people, it's been, there's, there have been, I mean, I'm going to go with like Medieval Knievel. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's one thing to be smart, but it's another one to play it well and and enhance the moment with it. There's pedantry. There's a whole lot of that over there. Mm -hmm. um, there's some good people over in the physics area on IO9. Synthozoic is a nice guy and, and well schooled with that. And there's a couple of other people I've had talks with serious physics stuff with. Unfortunately, I get the feeling over there that it's a lot more about Hasbro. Um, but uh, uh, still, there's occasionally good stuff. And I, uh, Mika McKinnon gets a plus 10 from me for uh, uh, talking the real talk over there. Hmm. Okay. Let's see. You talk a lot about, you make a lot of jokes and references to freedom and mm -hmm. liberty. Mm -hmm. So I want to ask you, like, what, do you, what does freedom and liberty mean to you? Yeah, then... they're undefined, right? They're like free will. If you ask anybody about free will, they'll never be able to say what it is. Um, I think, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think maybe it goes down to, uh, it is centered in the Federalist Papers, maybe, or going into um, the consent to be governed, or what a republic means. We're all part of a state, um, and, and one thing I never actually see mentioned now in current internet commentary anywhere, you know, there's so many people that talk about the Constitution and the Founding Fathers and being rogue, rugged individuals all the time, but where's social contract? Um, the idea that um, I allow some rule to the state in order for a set of benefits. And if either side breaches that contract, then we have to talk. But there doesn't seem to be that kind of closed circle in realizing that, wait, this fight against the government is the fight against us. Mm -hmm. um, where the original question was, I'm lost now. But uh, um, so what freedom and liberty mean? What do you yeah, so mean? freedom and liberty in, in, in so far as a meeting, I think, is... Uh, rather corrupted. Like, they say they do these things for freedom, right? The, the Second Amendment is to fight against tyranny, but how do you become a tyrant uh, other than brandishing a gun at somebody, you know, threatening with force? Mm -hmm. So I don't see how you can actually make anyone free by threatening them with death. So that, that, that's basically what it boils down to. I've heard that other one, what is it, a dangerous freedom instead of uh, safe slavery? Wait a second. I mean, if, if I could walk out the street and be subject to a random act of violence right now, you know, based on someone's misconstrual of reality, that doesn't strike me as freedom. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm at the whim of every single self-appointed little constitutional um, enforcer out there and their own little interpretations of what the Constitution might mean. You know, they might think it was written by Martians and you know, the, the Second Amendment means to do X. And I can't, you know, there's no argument against it because there's no real cohesive sense of social contract. It's, I like that take, that it's a social contract. I think I've read on right-wing sites that the Constitution belongs to the people. Mm -hmm. And I get that, but I think that it's just a little bit too much of a um, one-sided approach, perhaps. Yeah. Like we're in this together, we're supposed to be. Maybe that's too easy, easily summed up. But my next question now regarding, uh, related to that is, what... Do you think the words freedom and liberty mean to people like Ted Cruz, like really right-wing Republicans? They mean the same thing as the words God and Jesus mean okay. to a rich gospel preacher. They are levers to get the 
uh, basically that Nixonian compromise where they said, oh, all these rich Republicans need to get the chuckleheads in the South to vote for them. So what do we do? We say liberty, freedom, this and that, and wear U.S. flag shorts and they'll vote for us. And that, the, that is the, the short form. Because the, the, most of the people that are motivated by those two terms don't know what they mean and, and certainly aren't probably acting for them. <laughs> I, that's, I, I have to agree with that one. <laughs> they do. I actually saw this video recently of... Um, like this racist old white lady who's screaming at this like Latina woman in LA to learn English and speak English. But like the term she's throwing out, like, I don't, you know, this is, we're going to live in a Hitler nation and you yeah. don't want socialists. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking. It's so Jeez. embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that could get me going too. Capitalism. Yeah. That's another word like freedom, right? Mm. Capitalism. If you're growing capital, that means if you have capitalism, let's say hits this state of Wyoming, after 100 years, there should be more capital there, right? But 100 years later, there's less. So it, I don't understand how capitalism, as we know it, has been called capitalism, because it's not. It's the removal of capital. Hmm. Um, you look, look at Greece, look at any of these places. So you get, uh, you pull all the, you know, globalism is a good one too. You get uh, uh, the removal of capital in the sense of labor. What if, okay, wait, really quick. And for, it's not just um, a removal of capital. What if someone said to you, it's a reallocation of capital? Right, yeah, essentially, yeah. And then uh, that follows right into another illusion, uh, which is a big time one today, uh, artificial <laughs> borders, right? If I come and take your capital or allocate it to Corporation X, which happens to be based here, um, we, uh, it's important for everyone to respect our borders so you guys can, can just come over and have it. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So it's like a... a and then freedom and liberty both figure into that. Ted Cruz wants to make the freedom liberty wall to reinforce that. So when that capital gets reallocated from Mexico, say, and the people say, oh, well, let's follow the capital, they can't. On the subject of freedom again, what do you think of, what are the Twin, the twin Towers called now? Is it the Freedom Tower? <laughs> what's, what's your opinion on that? I have no idea. I think uh, the best reaction would have been to build a park, green space there, and say, uh, back, you know, however many years ago, say, okay, you know, we're strong. You haven't phased us at all. Tooth, what about the capital? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Imagine having three trillion to spend or however much we blew over there. Like, uh, yeah, duffel bags of cash that they don't even know what happened to. I mean, those are, aren't small duffel bags. It's like billion dollars a shot in cash. Yeah, imagine if we didn't do that. But then we'd blow it on something else. So, you know, another current one of mine is manned Mars mission. Like, oh, we need to go to Mars to investigate for life. But at the same time, you know that sending someone over there with dirty socks, pooping all over the place is going to ruin any search for life. True. So it's this, what are you getting at? What's the real story here? And that's a conversation that hasn't gone well either. Oh, we must conquer space. What for? You know, oh, so we persevere. Until when? Isn't it just <laughs> to know? Isn't, aren't we going to, to outer space to pursue knowledge, to better understand mm -hmm. what's but going on But what do we use here? to pursue knowledge? We use our senses. Okay. And so we can pretty much stick whatever sense we use on a machine and stick it out there without having to, to put on space diapers. So, I mean, that part of it, I'm, I'm super into. I love space exploration, all that. The pictures and the, the data and everything from other worlds are amazing. But the, what is causing a fundamental disconnect in a lot of people is that people don't need to be there to hold the equipment anymore. Oh, the robot tipped over. Well, it's still cheaper to send 500 different iterative robots than one person. So the, if, we, if we want to learn and, and see things, the, the, then it's better spent not wasting the money on putting the people up there. So you advocate for not just uh, sending machines up there? I advocate, well, I love the view. I think the inflatable, inflatable space habitats are cool. And uh, if the space station was in the right orbit, it would be really useful to make those robots. So we could send up like a packing crate and people in orbit could put it together. But unfortunately, due to uh, congressional mandate, the uh, space station is in an orbit that's inclined to the rest of the solar system. So you can't really launch space probes from it. How do we know that the machines that we're going to send out into outer space won't pollute 
That's a problem. Yeah. We know they do. Um, the one that's up there right now, uh, the uh, Mars Science Laboratory, is, has known contaminants on it, and uh, all of them actually do to some degree. But what limits, and, and what's uh, uh, great, I mean, telling about it, I guess, would be uh, that they're finding all these spots where it could kind of explore water right now, but they're like, we're not even sending that thing close to these things, because if we contaminate it with, you know, cheese mold, it, who knows what could happen. And uh, um, so that, 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 in a lot of conversations, the answer to that is send people. I'm like, well you realize that we're just an entire colony of all these, you know, happy little bacteria and molds and fungi that would take over Mars. And then the next people would discover that. So, yeah, it's weird. All right. This is the final question now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, how would you describe tooth petard using three different adjectives? <laughs> oh, yellowed. What? Yellow, yellow country teeth? No. Um, wait, so, no, wait, not a three-word <laughs> phrase, more of a three separate <laughs> But I was like, yellowed? Yellow, skinny, and crooked. What? <laughs> um, no, I was thinking back to Gawker and how to have decent conversations, and it, uh, uh, I like the drunken master for that, just stagger in and say something. Um, and I'm trying to think of a way to apply that to teeth, too. I mean, there's like an Austin Powers aspect to that. I mean, really, I can't imagine what happens the first time somebody sees that. Like, what the fuck is this? Who's... What? <laughs> so, um, hmm. Mysterious, svelte, and buoyant. Mysterious? Svelte and, and buoyant. Ebullient? Ebullient. That's better. I like that because I'm not really buoyant. Oh, did you say buoyant? I was going with buoyant, but I'm not. So ebullient oh. is better. Oh, so I don't mean to like control. Oh, these are, I'm just throwing out random words. I haven't oh. thought about uh, uh, Tooth Bizarre as an entity too much. Oh, I see. I would like, uh, I envision it like one of those medieval catapults with all the people around it and with this giant tooth being hoisted out of it when you said svelte i immediately thought of like one of those mustachioed men from the 1920s exactly <laughs> cigarette oh uh, you know the ones that um push those like barbells up mm -hmm. oh totally yeah. yeah yeah those guys i'm working on it i have alopecia but uh, uh my fiance says she's working it back uh the hair back one hair at a time and nice. uh, I'm, I'm just about ready for mustache growth i might have to try that well, thank you so much, Tooth, for your time and your thoughts, uh, sharing all that with us. I, I yeah, really great talking it. to you. <laughs>